0: Content in this podcast is not legal, financial, or investment advice. And so what fashion brands and other brands need to do is they need to think about, and this is what this person said, they need to become technology companies that sell fashion, not fashion companies that use technology. And that's vital because in this age of the metaverse, and virtual goods, and virtual fashion, and NFTs, and crypto. There's a level of tech savviness that you have to have as a company, and it's important. It's important for the day-to-day execution of your business, but it's also important for for um, growth, corporate growth, because there are all these opportunities for new ways of generating money within fashion companies.
1: Hi, I'm Mike DeNunzio, the founder of Pebble Ventures, and I'm with my colleague Lauren Fedema. So Lauren, oh. that was a great conversation with Gina. She had so many interesting things to offer for brands, thinking about getting into the metaverse and those that are already there.
2: Yeah, totally agree. I especially loved uh, covering her perspective on what's going on with trademark, especially some of the cases we've been following around Hermes and how that's all going to work out with the mini Birkin Super interesting to see how that translates in the metaverse and what that will mean for the future as far as setting precedents and also getting her perspective on the Nike Stock X. I know there's a lot of folks in the industry really eager to understand how that's going to play out. So it was really cool to have her come in with such you know concise and helpful perspective, obviously not legal advice, but great Um deep dive into each one of those issues, along with just her general thoughts on how to kind of prep and explore this space while, you know, taking the steps to think through the legal implications of things.
1: Yeah, totally. All right. So let's, let's jump into it. Sounds good. Welcome everybody to another episode of Metaverse Matters. I'm Mike DeNunzio, the founder of Pebble Ventures, and I'm here as always with my colleague Lauren Fenema. And today we're really happy to have Gina Bibby. She is a partner and head of the global fashion tech practice at Withers Worldwide. And while none of this is legal advice, we are here to talk about a lot of issues that brands are starting to think about as it relates to their entries into the metaverse. So Gina, welcome and thank you so much for taking some time today.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Great. Well, what, if you wouldn't mind, maybe just open up and just give our readers a little bit about your background and your practice, and, and then we'll kind of dive into some of the some of the things you've been quoted quite a bit from Bloomberg to Vogue Business, so we want to kind of jump into that, but just a little bit on your background would be great.
0: Sure. So um, I, I like to say that I come to um, my fashion tech practice by way of an honest journey. I, um, In my former life, I was a computer software engineer. In fact, I practiced in industry as an engineer for 10 years and my undergraduate training is in mathematics and computer science. Um, and once I graduated law school, I spent the bulk of my career to date, practicing in Silicon Valley on complex IP matters for um, uh, high tech companies, you know, the who's who list of high tech companies. And while I was practicing in um, Silicon Valley, um, in the back of my head, I had always had a thought that I wanted to start my own practice with. Um, bringing in my IP knowledge and um, my love of fashion. And um, the interesting thing is I caught wind of a collaboration between Levi Strauss and Google. Hmm. And I thought to myself, now these are very strange bedfellows. (laughs) And so there, there must be some there there And I suspected that this idea I had been ruminating over with respect to a specialized fashion practice that had an IP focus might have some relevance once I figured out what the Google and Levi Strauss collaboration was all about. So when that collaboration, which is called Project Descartes uh, was pushed to the public domain I learned that Google was helping Levi Strauss to create conductive fabrics and yarns that could be woven into various garments, Um, specifically for Project Jacquard purposes. The garment was um, what Levi called a commuter jacket where you could um, touch technology was woven into the yarn so that you could just run your, your hand across the sleeve or some other portion of the garment and operate your phone and other electronic devices. And I thought to myself, now this is really interesting. I don't know of anyone who's um, advising clients, not in a one-off way, but in a specialized way at the intersection of fashion and technology. And so I started out on my journey to build a fashion tech practice that was specialized and ended up, eventually here at Withers Bergman, um, which is what the firm is known as in the United States and Withers worldwide um, outside of the United States. And I uh, started the firm's fashion tech practice. And I'm, the, as you mentioned, Mike, the global head of that practice.
1: Wonderful. Well, that's that's such a cool journey. I remember when Levi's came out with that with the collaboration with Google. It really was one of the true innovations and just opened up the aperture for so many people to start to think about new ways to make clothes, wear clothes, have clothes do things that they don't normally do. So very cool. Well, maybe we'll just jump right into it. You were recently quoted in Vogue Business about how to trademark the metaverse and It would be really helpful if you could maybe guide some of the clients and just some of the things that you're saying are, hey, these are the top issues that you should be thinking about as you start to enter into the metaverse, whether that's as simple as augmented reality or gaming that we're very familiar with all the way to virtual world. So do you have a set of kind of top items that, you know, brands and corporations should be thinking about?
0: So if I were to address... Uh, trademark protection specifically.
1: Sure. Uh,
0: There were questions initially about whether or not brands and other companies really needed to um, file for trademark protection for uh, the metaverse. And I, I think the general consensus was, at least in the legal community, that it was likely true that if you had a real physical world trademark, that that trademark would translate into the metaverse, but that to cover your bases, it would be a good idea for brands to also seek trademark protection for their virtual goods and their virtual logos and things of that sort. And so that's the advice that I give clients while it may be the case that your physical trademarks will translate into the, the metaverse, um, it, it's a smart move to also seek uh, trademark protection for um, the virtual world. And that advice actually has borne out in the, um, to be true in the Hermes versus Roth, Rothschild case,
2: right.
0: because there in the uh, the courts last order. Effectively, the court said that the the trademarks owned by Hermes do apply in the metaverse with respect to NFTs. The question there is whether or not uh, the artist who minted the mini Birkin bags has defenses against trademark infringement on physical world trademarks by way of the First Amendment. Okay. So um, I don't know if you want me to get into a deeper dive about the, the, the legal issues there. We can save it for later or I can talk about it
2: now. I thought that was pretty interesting actually, just reading through uh, part of what you were quoted on with the cultural reference versus what is art, what is trademark. And I think that might be where that goes. And if that's true, I'd love to hear a little bit more otherwise, you know, sure. yeah.
0: Yes, so, so under the Rogers case, um, what that case says is that while there are trademark owner rights, those trademark owner rights have limits. And where that limit is, is if the trademark is being used in an artistic expressive context. And so that's, where the the rubber meets the road in the Rothschild Hermes case, the judge in that case, and a jury, if there is one, will have to decide whether or not um, the Mini Birkins are a pure artistic expression that are not source identifying, that are not meant for your typical commercial purposes that you have when you're dealing with uh, trademark owners' rights. So it will be. It will be really interesting to see how how the judge comes out in this case, what he decides, and whatever he decides will be very instructive as to how the IP laws are going to apply in the metaverse. We know they're going to apply, but we don't know exactly how. So there are some open questions there.
1: Interesting. When do you, do you know when that's going to be decided? Is there a timeline on that?
0: I, I have not looked at the scheduling order. Um, the Rothschild artist submitted a or filed a motion to dismiss with the court, which is resulted in the order that I just mentioned from the court. So I'm not sure uh, what the timeline is for that, although I suspect that the judge in this case is not going to... Uh, delay matters just because there are so many people at the edges of their seats hmm. waiting to see what the legal precedent will be in this case.
1: Interesting, very interesting. Is that? Um, and then I also saw you were quoted about a Miramax uh, Quentin Tarantino issue, which which I also think is really interesting because if you take historical or brands, they've got a lot of assets that they've had for many many years. And then, you know, some people may want to do something with those assets, whether it's a celebrity or not, or the brand may want to do some. Is that another case that you think is going to really provide good insight and guidance to the industry?
0: Actually, I don't. And I'll tell you why I don't. Because based on the facts of the Quentin Tarantino case, it's more of a contract interpretation question and less of a, how do the IP laws apply in the metaverse? Okay. So I think the decision in that case will be less instructive for brands going forward as they operate in the metaverse than will the um, Hermes Rothschild and StockX Nike cases.
2: I was gonna ask about that StockX Nike case and whether it's, I feel like for me as a consumer and even just in this world of, Um, you know, being alongside Pebble Ventures to explore this on behalf of our clients, it feels different than the Hermes case, Um, the Nike kind of going against StockX and what they're doing from an NFT standpoint. Um, Do you feel like that case is different or is it kind of in the same bucket of considerations when we look at Nike versus StockX?
0: So there are differences and there are likenesses. The likenesses exist in that the courts are are assessing what IP owners' rights exist in the metaverse. So in that regard, they're, 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 they're you know the same. The legal questions, however, I see as different. So in the Hermes Rothschild case, you're dealing with an artistic expression which implicates um, freedom of speech, constitutionalities, right? Um, First Amendment issues. That would be the defense in that case to trademark infringement. Whereas in the Nike StockX case, you're not dealing with an artistic expression. You're dealing with an NFT that StockX alleges um, tracks ownership of a physical item, Nike shoe by way of the example, And so the legal question there is going to be slightly different. And that legal question will be whether or not StockX has defenses against trademark infringement based on fair use. And StockX is going to argue and has argued in his papers that we fall into the fair use exception because we're not using the the Nike trademark as a source identifier. We're merely using it to track ownership of a physical world item. And so
2: therefore the trademark, you know, yeah. trademark infringement is, is not relevant here. It's so interesting because I think and extend this to all the huge trend around resale obviously. And when I think about a real world or even any of these other sites, thinking about how to enter the metaverse and NFTs running into that kind of similar issue of being able to resell really great products and you know be thinking through some of those considerations and if they were to launch nfts to help understand that ownership this is an interesting case to apply and understand so that's one of the things that i've been curious about is how some of these um copyright issues are going to affect resale and ownership as we extend into this you know next phase of fashion
0: right both copyright and and trademark issues and i think uh, if you step back from a moment, for a moment, and you look at these two cases, there are some, there are some very instructive, from a practical standpoint, uh, lessons to be learned for brands and other companies. Um, on the one hand, what these cases tell you is that if you're going to be minting NFTs and you're involving the IP rights of others you have to be very careful, consult with legal counsel around whether or not your use will constitute infringement. On the flip side of that, for brands who are bringing these lawsuits, they have to do their diligence as well and figure out whether or not bringing a lawsuit is the right thing to do in light of the uh, the contours of the law. You know, will the law support a trademark infringement claim will the law support a copyright infringement claim and does it make sense to bring these lawsuits in light of those contours of the law, so it's 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 double sided.
2: yeah that's great reflection, I was curious if we could get your comments on you know thinking about the board yacht club and some of these emerging brands in this space. Um, and how they're approaching just from the get-go that you can have commercial use and kind of have different ways of applying their IP through it, you know, through licensing and things like that. Are those different? Are they probably relying on the similar, similar laws that exist today? Or are they helping invent and reimagine some of the ways that trademark is gonna be used in the metaverse, for example?
0: Well, I mean, all that they have to rely on are the existing laws. I'm not familiar specifically with what they're doing, but um i i i, I do i I can confidently say that um whatever the existing trademarks and copyrights and other i p laws that that are on the books, they will be relevant.
1: Great And Gina, do you get involved much in helping brands with development of smart contracts and And how do you think about smart contracts relative to, you know, kind of other typical real world, I'll call them contracts that you're used to working on?
0: Sure. So uh, we have a a global crypto practice here at Withers. And as part of that crypto practice, we get involved in uh, smart contract development and what have you. And just like we've discussed with the IP laws in the metaverse, you know there are some counseling we have to do around smart contracts because, um, so th- you have to take into account enforceability considerations.
1: Okay. Um,
0: generally speaking. Um, Just to give you a little contract law primer so what you learn in law school is that in order to have an enforceable and valid contract, you have to have an offer. An acceptance of the offer and consideration there has to be value associated with with the contract and as long as you have those three things, you have a valid and enforceable contract, whether or not the contract is oral or it's written with some exceptions. So under the uniform, yeah, uniform commercial code, sales of goods over $500 must be in writing. So an oral contract will not suffice. And then um, under um, the statute of frauds laws, both federal and state, there are certain contracts that also must be in writing. And those contracts are sale of goods over $500, Um, marriage contracts, guarantor contracts, when you're guaranteeing um, uh, to deal with the debt of a third party. Uh, Another example would be performance contracts where the performance uh, extends for greater than a year. Um, And there's one other I'm forgetting at the moment, but those types of contracts have to be Uh, in writing as well. So the question that you have to ask is, would a smart contract not violate the UCC or um, statute of frauds, the different, the federal or state statute of frauds laws? And so um, generally speaking, because of the uh, Uniform Electronic Transactions Act, and the Electronic Signature and Records Act, uh, electronic contracts and electronic signatures in those contracts are generally recognized. Now, the caveat is that contract law is governed by the states. So you have to make sure that you consult your state contract laws to make sure that there are no exceptions. In other words, that you Um, maybe a smart contract would not be valid under certain circumstances under a state's statute of frauds law. So you have to be diligent about making sure that the subject matter of the contract is one that is fit for a a smart contract and um, would be valid, valid and enforceable. There are some other issues uh, with respect to smart contracts that I think that um, brands and other companies need to, to think about. Um, because a smart contract is effectively code that's written on the, to execute on the blockchain, in the physical world, when you have a written typed or whatever contract, the both parties on either side of the agreement can see the physical contract. They know what the terms are. Um, they can consult with their lawyers about the terms. They, they sign based on those terms. But now we're in the world of the metaverse and a smart contract, and you're talking about code. So what can you do to ensure that you understand the terms of the code? And so what that may mean is that you have to engage technical experts to interpret the code for you or to review the code to assure you that the terms are what you expect them to be. So that's one consideration. Another consideration is um, sometimes smart contracts, you have to rely on what they call um, off-chain resources. So if, if, To execute the contract, you need to get some information that is outside of the blockchain. Mm -hmm. You have to go to third-party resources off the blockchain to get that information pushed onto the blockchain so that you can execute the contract. So what that means is it's an extra layer of complexity and brands and companies need to be thinking about that. The other thing that I think brands need to pay attention to with respect to smart contracts and the advice that we give, when you're in a business-to-business uh, context, one business on, is on one side of the agreement, the contract. The, uh, another business is on the other side. There's a certain level of sophistication and resources that is, are assumed. You have legal resources on both sides you have technical expert resources that can read the code for the smart contract on both sides, generally speaking. But what happens when you're in a B2C or a business-to-consumer context? Well, the consumer probably likely does not have the resources that I've just listed and likely may not have the, um, the sophistication in dealing with a smart contract. So you have to be very careful in that context, especially because what a consumer can say is I, I, I agree to these terms, but I can't confirm that the terms are actually coded into the smart contract. Right. Interesting. Another consideration that we advise on when dealing with smart contracts is smart contracts are self-executing, as as you know. And what that means is that there's not a lot of human intervention involved unless you're dealing with uh, an off-chain resource through an oracle or something like that. And so amending and revising contracts has an extra layer of difficulty. And if you don't build in the constructs from the very beginning in the code to deal with scenarios where you're amending the contract or sending the contract or all of that, it's a problem. Because that contract is going to self execute. So that's the type of legal advice that we give in addition to other things around smart contracts.
1: I can't imagine. Would have, would, did you ever imagine that your engineering start would come full circle now, where you're pairing law and code and an understanding? I mean, you have a, such deeper understanding of these things, how they work, because of your background.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I have to be honest. When I uh, decided I would do something other than engineering and uh, and software, I, I made a conscious effort to choose a career where I could exploit all of that knowledge and education and frankly that's the choice I made when I decided to go to law school and I decided to um, practice in the IP space and tech and become a registered patent attorney and it was also my consideration when, when I started my fashion tech practice because I knew as I said earlier, I was coming to this practice, honestly, like I understand fully the technical side of things. And I understand fully the legal side of things, which would not be the case for your average lawyer. I mean, we're, we're never average, but you you know what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. What, um, Are there any emerging issues that you're starting to see that brands maybe need to be thinking about that are coming up as a result of all this innovation that's, you know, starting to happen now?
0: So I will take you back in time to several years ago when um, I was thinking about what was happening at the intersection of fashion and technology. And I was at an event in New York City and someone said something that at that that event that really stuck with me, it was a conference. And I can't even remember who said it, but it was so profound that I wrote it down in my notebook. And this person said the following, that companies, fashion companies and the like, who do not become tech savvy are going to get lost. They'll, they'll get you know pushed into the background of the economy, right? And so what fashion brands and other brands need to do is they need to think about, and this is what this person said, they need to become com- technology companies That sell fashion, not fashion companies that use technology. And that's vital because in this age of the metaverse and virtual goods, and virtual fashion, and NFTs, and crypto, there's a level of tech savviness that you have to have as a company. And it's important, it's important for the day to day execution of your business. But it's also important for, for uh, growth, corporate growth, because there are all these opportunities for new ways of generating money within fashion companies. And for example, you know companies like Louis Vuitton and Chanel and Balenciaga and all of those companies need to start thinking about the metaverse and what, what we're going to do in the metaverse and you do it and make money for your company before somebody else does. So the perfect example is in the gaming industry, right? It's a multi-billion dollar industry with lots of opportunity. And although I'm not a gamer, I do know that in the gaming context, people have things called skins. And who doesn't want the 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 most trendy skin or the best skin? So if I were in um, in the gaming world, I can tell you for sure I might want to have like uh, a Gucci jacket in in that um, for sure in that gaming content. Me too, <laughs> exactly. And so brands need to think about uh, this, it's going to be an opportunity cost if they don't branch out into the metaverse and start minting digital collectibles and the like
2: for themselves.
1: I think that's so spot on. Lauren, I know you've got a question, fire away.
2: Oh no, I'm just agreeing that if I were a gamer, I also would want a Gucci jacket. And I think what we're seeing too is, um, a lot of brands extending into these gaming spaces. And I think it, it just goes back to what we already covered around trademark and making sure that you are the first to present your brand in these new spaces and keeping in mind that just like in the real world, people might rework your label and rework your logo and sell it kind of as an artistic version. How What's that line and how do you make sure again to get out in front of it? And so no real question, just it's exciting to see all the different spaces that this moves into as the metaverse evolves. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, Mike, I don't know if you have anything else.
0: I, I do have one further point to make and yeah. it's yeah. a really important point for, for brands and even for consumers. Um, ownership is a tricky issue in mm-hmm. the metaverse. It's tricky. In the physical world, if I own an automobile I can go out in my driveway and I can touch that automobile. I know I have um, the title to the automobile. I I can like pick up the title. It's a piece of paper. I can look at it, keep it in my safe deposit box. There's no question about what I own. The same would be true for your home or what have you. But when you're in a metaverse context, ownership gets tricky because there are different layers at which ownership can go one way or the other. Perfect example, going back to uh, the minting of an NFT. So it's computer code. What, how do you get that NFT? What is, does it require? Well, it requires, unless you're a coder yourself or a software engineer, um, it requires for you to engage potentially third party resources to write that code, right? Well, under existing copyright laws, Guess what's protected by copyright? Computer software. So if I'm writing code, I'm the person writing the code, presumably I own it under the copyright laws, just as if I wrote a book and I put pen to paper. Uh, Once that code in the book is in tangible form, the individual who wrote it, painted it, et cetera, owns it. So, when you're a brand and you're your engaging external technical resources or even within your company, you have to make sure that if the technical resource, your IT department, your engineers are in house, that their employment agreements have clauses which they, any IP that they develop, is owned by the company. If you're engaging in outside, a uh, tech company to write your code. You need to make sure that your agreement with them uh, clearly spells out that you own whatever they develop and they don't own it. The other thing that you need to do as a, uh, a brand or company is after you get past the step of minting the NFT, now you want to sell it, right? <coughs> So you should have terms and conditions on your website or in your contracts or what have you that clearly spell out for the consumer what is owned. And that generally would be, the consumer does not own the underlying physical object that's represented by the NFT, that they only own the NFT, the digital collectible, and that's it.
2: That's (coughs) so interesting too, when we think about this trend with digital. so the physical digital being paired in an NFT, so saying that you own this NFT, maybe this, um, correct me if I'm confusing, but like once you launch the NFT, let's say it's to claim this physical good or you get access to something limited edition. So this NFT almost grants you access to something. Um, Does that change like the flavor or the like shape of that type of um, contract or what you're mentioning around writing the code and claiming the physical good? So when it comes to ownership, Do you have to even go a layer deeper in considering how the NFT interacts with the physical world? That makes sense. So so on the coding question, that that
0: that question doesn't change. Yeah. You always have to make sure that the individual company, whomever that codes the um, NFT, does not have ownership rights in the code. With respect to an NFT having some more tangible connection to a physical item that would be uh, what we have in the StockX case, right? Right, as the consumer has purchased the physical good and has the NF- NFT as proof of that transaction, right? Well, I think in that scenario, ownership is actually more straightforward because it's more akin to the physical world. So if I go to a department store and I buy a dress, I get the physical dress, I own the physical dress and they give me a receipt, a paper or electronic receipt for my purchase. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to own the NFT and the um, corresponding physical item, the NFT will act like a receipt and you'll own the physical item. So it's much more straightforward. Where it gets tricky is... Spell In this scenario that I mentioned, where you don't own, have any ownership interest in the fiscal, I, you need to be very clear that the consumer has no ownership interest in that. And a related um, point is, let's say you have an NFT platform, right. I'm a brand, I decide to uh, create my own platform to sell the NFTs and, and what have you or to use the NFT or uh, whatever it is, or virtual piece of virtual fashion, doesn't matter. So if you're telling the consumer that they own the NFT, they have ownership rights and NFTs cannot exist without the blockchain, the blockchain can exist without NFTs, but NFTs cannot exist without the blockchain or a blockchain equivalent. So what happens when you pull that platform away, when you take, this is just something I'm pulling out of thin air, it's not actually what's going on, but let's say at some point the government regulates the blockchain to the point where it's just not usable and your NFT has no value, right? Well, go back in time to the agreement you had when you sold that NFT to a consumer, like you own, this This is something you own, you have rights in it, blah, blah, blah. But then when you take the platform that's needed to support that NFT existence away, what does the consumer own? So you have to make sure in your contractual agreements that your anticipating this, right? So that you don't get caught in a situation where you're being accused of fraudulent activities. You you made a representation to a consumer that's not actually fully accurate, et cetera. So that would be something else that brands and companies need to think about.
2: That's so interesting because it reminds me of, as we were witnessing the scale of NFTs like really exploding over the last two years, one of the primary questions was, okay, I bought this, You know, valuable NFT and it lives on this platform, like an OpenSea, for example, what if they fail? And then what happens? Do I still own it? Can I sell it somewhere else? And so it was, it was been interesting to have that in the back of people's minds as they're trading value and trying to understand what, what does it mean to own an NFT? So that was a great run through of how to think through it.
0: And I cannot emphasize this enough because this is, a new horizon we're embarking upon in the metaverse. And even lawyers like myself, as I alluded to earlier in this conversation, we don't know how the courts are gonna settle all the laws around the metaverse, um, physical world law in the metaverse. So the smart thing to do for brands is not to cut corners, consult with legal counsel, because I can promise you that it will be much less expensive to do it right or as right as you can get it from the very beginning, than to have your legal team, lawyers, etc., pull you out of the ditch. Right.
1: <laughs> I think. I think that's a great way to end this First, one. <laughs> uh, in And, you know, we're experiencing that with the clients that we're working on is there's quite a bit of legal due diligence done at the beginning and, and the legal teams are getting involved actually quite early in the process. I'm sure a lot earlier than they were um, on typical marketing programs. So uh, I think that's perfect perspective. Gina, thank you very much for your time today and all the insights. It was really interesting to hear, and I'm sure it's going to be very helpful to people listening.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's been my total pleasure.
1: Wonderful. Thanks. We'll uh, see you next. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Metaverse Matters by Pebble Ventures. If you enjoyed the content, please do subscribe and rate the show. You could also connect with us on LinkedIn at pebbleventures.com or directly at mike at If you're a brand exploring the space or you're already testing and are looking to develop next-level strategies, please do reach out. We'd welcome an introductory conversation to learn more about your goals, where you are in the process, and share our thoughts about your business. Have a great day.